Happy Saturday, everybody. This week on the show, we talked about General Thomas Alexandre Dumas, who rose to the top ranks of the military during the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars. And one of the things that came up in the episode was how he liked to do strongman-style stunts. And that kept reminding me of our previous episode on Katie Sandwina from back in January of 2015. And Sandwina was a strong woman. I love her and I think she's incredibly amazing. She also was an activist for women's rights and we are gonna share her story again today. So enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And it's 2015. Hooray! We're in a new year, which means a lot of people are making New Year's resolutions. I've talked about how much I love them before. Uh, And it it got me thinking about topics that might center around that. And a lot of people at this time of year like to kind of focus on maybe hitting the gym a little bit more. This is why when I've been in the regular gym going habit, I always basically take January to do other things. (laughs) Yeah, it tends to be the the big rush. Like, people that are regular gym goers will find, like, this is the influx when they can't get a machine or can't get, you know, time in the spot they want in the gym uh, before everybody gets tired and wears out. But it got me thinking about fitness and whether or not we could find a good fitness-related podcast. And at first, I wanted to talk about sort of the advent of the the health club and the gym in America, which is, goes back much farther than you may suspect. But that's not actually what we're going to talk about today. Because while I was researching that, I then stumbled upon something else that got me really, really excited. And that is Katie Sandwina, who was a strong woman uh, with sort of just a wonderful, fascinating story uh, that made me laugh and also be amazed and say wow a lot. And also send me lots of IMs as you were doing. Your I research. was. I just every time I unturned a new piece of information about her, I was like, "Oh my goodness, Tracy, guess what else?" And then, and then, like I turned into a child. So it seemed like I was on the right track in terms of exciting topics, at least for me. So today we're going to talk about Katie Sandwina and her sort of uh, really remarkable life, but also just her remarkableness as a human, not just because she was so strong, but because she was just a Kind of a, she has a fascinating story. Sanduina was born Catherine Brumbach in Vienna, Austria in 1884. Her Bavarian parents, who were Philippe and Joanna Brumbach, were both circus performers and they wowed crowds with feats of strength. Philippe was a mountain of a man, standing a reported six foot six inches tall and weighing 260 pounds. Joanna was a strong woman and she was about six feet tall. And the couple had uh, either 14, 15, or 16 children together, depending on which source you read. Uh, I saw kind of an almost equal smattering across all of those numbers. But in any event, we are talking about a really sizable family. Catherine, who went by Katie, was the second oldest. And while she and three of her sisters, Barbara, Marie, and Eugenia, all performed with their parents in their strong person act. It wasn't very long before Katie really stood out as exceptional. Even as young as two years old, she was able to hold a handstand really easily. Like they would do a trick where she would hold a handstand on her father's hands as part of the show. Uh, And so she began gymnastics training pretty quickly to develop her natural proclivity in that direction. And she also started appearing on stage pretty regularly with mom and dad. And we're talking, again, a two-year-old. 
In her teen years, Katie was already almost six feet tall and was quite lean at 187 pounds, and she worked really diligently to develop this natural strength that she seemed to have. Uh, As her might grew, so did her looks. She was considered to be really a beauty, and so her father developed a whole circus act around her. Yeah, and it's maybe not the act you would expect. Uh, (laughs) At the various circuses where the family performed throughout Europe, uh, Philippe, at the end of them showing off all of their feats of strength, would offer 100 German marks cash to any man or woman who could best Katie in a wrestling match. And the prospect of wrestling with an attractive young woman uh, no doubt had serious appeal for the gentlemen who stepped up to try. They did very well with this this act. Uh, And Katie took on many, many challengers, and she never lost a single fight. Uh, But there was a sort of fun and surprising outcome from this act. Eventually, this act ended up adding to the Brumbach family. There was a young 19-year-old man named Max Heyman, and he was an acrobat. He took the challenge to wrestle Katie, and he stepped into the ring with her, was promptly knocked out, and then she carted him out of the ring. Uh, She was, at that point, 16 years old. And in a terribly charming twist to the story, the strong woman and her vanquished challenger, Heyman, fell in love. Uh, They were married two years later, and Max officially became part of the act. And again, he was also an acrobat, so he, when they were with the circus, he wasn't just being... uh, with Katie's act, he was also doing things like, you know, standing on horses as they ran around and other acrobatic things. And their match seems to have been really quite happy. They stayed together for the rest of Katie's life. In some interviews given later on in his life, Max tells the story as though he fell madly in love with her on that very day and then ran away with her to get married, much to the chagrin of Katie's father. But that does not add up given the census records. The 1930 census reports that Max indicated that Katie and he had been married um, when she was 19 and he was 21. So that was a couple of years after this whole thing happened. Yeah, that lines up with most of the histories uh, about Katie. There are only these few sort of interviews with Max later in life that it seems like he maybe played up the sort of um, whirlwind nature of their of their marriage. But it's very cute because he'll talk about how all he remembers is stepping in the ring, seeing the blue sky when he fell down, and then coming to as Katie carried him away, which is sort of <laughs> a cute, fun start to a romance. I, I don't recommend knocking someone out as a way to uh, win their heart, but it sure did work in this case. Uh, And in 1909, Katie and her act made their way to the United States. She was performing with Max and one to two other gentlemen as the Sandwinas. They actually took this name on. It wasn't the name they originally came over with. uh, Because on a visit to New York, she issued a challenge at the end of her act to anyone that wanted to try to lift more weight than she could. She had one taker from the crowd, and it was a doozy, Eugen Sandow. And Sandow was a Prussian-born bodybuilder. He'd already become very famous as the sort of the embodiment of the perfect male physique. He made a career of appearing on stage wearing nothing more than a fig leaf or other very scant clothing and gladiator sandals to show off his extremely powerful muscles. Yeah, these are, they're hilarious to me. Pictures out there of him standing in his fig leaf, like flexing, uh, so you could see every, you know, part of his body. But 
So he was widely believed to be the strongest man on earth. And so when he emerged from the crowd to take this challenge, Katie was a little concerned that she had made a woeful misstep. Uh, You know, remember, this is a girl that never lost a fight. So the thought that she might be facing, like, defeat in front of a crowd was probably very terrifying. But she did not back down, and the weightlifting challenge began. So the way this worked was that Katie would lift up a weight, and then the challenger, Sandow, would have to lift up the same weight. And this went on for a while with an ever-increasing weight load. Finally, Katie lifted 300 pounds up over her head. When Katie had put the weight down and Sandow took the 300 pounds up, he could only lift it to chest level. So the challenge was over, and Katie had officially beaten the most famous strongman in the world at a weightlifting competition. And so before we uh, jump into how they become the Sandwinas and what happens next, we're going to take a quick word from a sponsor. So back to uh, Katie Sandwina. It was after this challenge with Sandow that Katie started appearing under the name Sandwina. So what we do know about the name is that it is intentionally a female derivative of Sandow. And what we do not know, and has always been a little nebulous in the record, is whether this was meant to be a respectful nod to the famous bodybuilder or an insult after she beat him. After this challenge, the other big change to Katie's life, besides her stage name, was the nature of her act. She was no longer a wrestling challenger. She became exclusively a strongwoman act. Yeah, once this, I mean, this made big news, like the fact that a woman had beaten this huge male bodybuilder in public in New York, it pretty much rippled out through newspapers pretty quickly. And so at that point, she was just a strong woman. They didn't feel like they needed to bother with wrestling anymore. And among the feats that she would demonstrate during the course of a show, we have a nice list here that Tracy and I will share with you. So one of the things she would do was juggling 30-pound cannonballs. Lifting her husband, Max, who weighed 165 pounds, over her head with one hand. This one blew my mind. She would lift up horses. I don't even know how you begin to lift a horse because it's a live (laughs) thing that might wiggle, in addition to being extremely heavy and an unwieldy size and shape. She would hold 14 people at a time on a carousel supported by her chest and shoulders. This one is also wild to me. She would lift a half-ton cannon on her back or on her chest. There's actually a picture that I found online of her with this cannon. Again, a full cannon. We're not talking about cannonballs. The apparatus to shoot them. And it's balanced on her chest by what would be the exit end of the cannon with the wheels in the air. And she's just sort of standing there holding it. So that's, again, half a ton. So we're talking about 1,000 pounds or 453 kilos that she's just balancing on her chest. There's the uh, strong act classic of bending iron bars. She would also break uh, iron chains. Like she would just snap them as part of the act. And she would lie on a bed of nails while audience members were brought forward to hit an anvil perched atop of her chest with sledgehammers. Now, as I was starting to read this, I was like, come on, bed of nails. I know people who do this. They do not do this with an anvil on their chest. They maybe at the most have a cinder block. Yeah. Uh, She was pretty astonishing. Uh, I mean, she just did amazing things. And it's funny because you'll read some accounts where uh, there was one 
piece that I read where they were talking about how she lifts in what was allegedly called the German method. I don't, I have no knowledge of whether or not this is a valid nomenclature for it, where she, when she would lift particularly heavy weights, she would kind of be rolling them up over her belly and chest to get them up rather than like a clean and jerk, if I'm getting this correct. I'm still standing here going, yes, but 300 pounds. <laughs> I don't care how she got it in the air. I'm sure if you are a weightlifting expert, you will know that that is clearly a layman's take on things. But I'm still pretty amazed that she was just hucking this kind of weight around as part of an act that she was doing over and over. It wasn't like a one-time shot. She toured the United States first on the Orpheum vaudeville circuit. And while on tour in the early 1900s, she and Max had a baby. They had a son, Theodore Roosevelt Martin Beck Sandwina. And through her whole pregnancy, she continued to do her stage appearances with all of her usual tricks and feats of strength. The night before he was born, she did not one, but two shows. Yeah, I could never find any good uh, info on, you know, in the what were you thinking arena. Like, (laughs) that seems like an awful lot to be doing to your body, particularly using your core at a time when you are carrying a little person. And I know exercising throughout pregnancy is considered healthy as long as you're not kind of going harder than you were before you got pregnant. But having people hit you with sledgehammers on a bed of nails seems unwise when you're carrying a child. But what do I know? Uh, (laughs) Katie, for her part, really seemed to take motherhood in stride, though. The press nicknamed Theodore Super Baby as he was, uh, not surprisingly, a large child, even though his father was not a particularly large man. You know, he still came from Katie's stock. And so by the age of two, he reportedly weighed 50 pounds. And for comparison, in case you are not a parent, the modern CDC charts put the average weight of a two-year-old boy at 28 pounds. So he was almost twice normal expected modern size anyway. So uh, we can conclude pretty logically that this had a lot to do with his mother's genetics. But it really prompted reporters to start asking Sanduina for feeding and care tips for healthy babies. <laughs> like, you too could raise a colossus. I don't know how on earth that uh, would happen. And while Teddy was still young, Katie and Max headed to Europe to tour. And they did not always take Teddy on tour with them. Sometimes he was at boarding school. But in any case, uh, it was not long before John Ringling spotted Katie's act and signed the husband and wife for the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And at this point, Ringling and his brothers had just bought the circus for a reported $410,000. And again, this is in like 1910 money, so it was quite a significant investment. And so they wanted to fill their roster with interesting and star acts. So in 1911, they headed back to the States. But Katie was not, as it turned out, a featured performer for the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Instead, her act, which was the Sanduinas, was one of four strength-based attractions that ran simultaneously. Yeah, Ringling had envisioned this scenario with all four of these strength acts sort of vying for the audience's attention as like one huge spectacle. But of course, Katie drew all eyes. She drew reporters as well as audiences. So the circus launched this plan to really play up her role, and they arranged a press conference to feature their new star and kind of announce her as, like, the new, um, you know, spotlight performer of Barnum & Bailey's. And so her act was also renamed, so they no longer went by the Sanduinas. The name was actually updated to Katie Sanduina and Troop. This was the first of many press conferences that Sanduina would give while she was with the circus. 
and it became the norm for the press to really want to see her anywhere that the circus toured. Doctors would show up to weigh and measure her publicly. The press would report on her 44-29-43 figure and marvel at her 16-inch calf muscles. And Katie did not seem to mind doing this at all. For her part, she actually accentuated her size by wearing boots with heels and some height-enhancing updos, like she would pile her hair on top of her head to further accentuate her stature, and especially in contrast to her five-foot-six husband. And then to conclude these press appearances, she would lift Max into the air, and then she would follow that by lifting both Max and their son Teddy with one arm. There's actually a rather charming photo of the family in this arrangement floating around online, where Katie's in this beautiful dress, and she's just got her husband in her arm, and her husband is holding the child, who's not an infant at that time. He's, you know, more of like a a young child. It's kind of wonderfully wacky. So in addition to showing off Katie's size and her strength, these press conferences also really accentuated her femininity. Press members wrote at great length of her titaness beauty. The promotion push on the part of the circus worked really hard to balance her charm and good looks with her strength in the public eye to create this irresistible act that was sure to draw in spectators. Even reporters who doubted the strength claims that Barnum and Bailey made Uh, they were quick to acknowledge Katie's appeal and magnetism. It seemed like she was as likable as she was strong, and what's really fascinating is that she's never described as being masculine during the press junket. Despite being bigger and stronger than many men of the era, or I would say many men today, descriptions of her always call her a Venus and a commanding beauty. And according to one female reporter, quote, she was an unconsciously perfect illustration of her text that beauty is strength, strength, beauty. Yeah, I really was expecting as I was doing research on this to find some weird thing about, you know, how manly she was, but none of them seem to. There's some that kind of suggest like, you know, uh, men might be in trouble if, you know, if women are like this, then if this is how we're going, we're going to lose some power. And uh, that's actually pretty germane to what we're going to talk about next, which is that while Katie really easily handled this role of basically being also a PR act for Barnum & Bailey's Circus, she also served to some degree as a mouthpiece for women's suffrage. Because she was in the public eye, she was very likable, she was considered attractive, and she was a wife and mother, she was admired by many. It was like people could both admire her beauty, women could identify with her because she fulfilled roles that they were living, even though she was also living this life of a circus performer. But because she was also part of a marriage where she was seen as at least physically dominant over her husband, she was also this model of liberation. And starting in 1912, she actually served as vice president of the circus's women's suffrage group. This earned her the nickname Sanduina the Suffragette in some news stories. And then before we get to sort of how her um, life shifts at this point, we are going to have another word from a sponsor, if that's cool with Tracy. Okay. So, um, at this point, you know, Katie has really achieved some level of fame, and she and Max have been touring the world, and at one point while they're touring Europe in 1918, they actually had their second son, Alfred, and Alfred's birth took place during 
some of the the unrest of the Hungarian Revolution, which we talked about a little bit in our Bela Lugosi episode. And the story goes, although there's no substantiation I could find on this, but I did see it reported similarly in several places, that Katie actually had to crawl under like a barbed wire fence to get to a hospital when she went into labor. And she ended up actually giving birth on the floor of the hospital because it was completely overcrowded and there was nowhere for her to go. They couldn't admit her. So Alfred was kind of born in not ideal circumstances, but seemed to turn out just fine. And just like with Theodore, she was performing right up until she gave birth. Katie continued to draw crowds as a strong woman into the late 1940s. And at this point, she was in her 60s. But there were some bumpy times toward the end of her career as a strong woman. Yeah, having nothing really to do with her. Uh, During the 1930s and the early 1940s, the Ringling Brothers and their various business ventures were really struggling. You know, the Great Depression impacted the circus just like everyone else, and many performers lost their jobs. For a brief period during the Depression, the Works Progress Administration Circus, which is the only state-run circus the United States has ever had, was organized by the federal government. This gave circus performers the opportunity to stay afloat and to keep entertaining. And Katie and Max worked with the WPA circus after leaving Barnum and Bailey. And uh, as sort of a, a fascinating financial side note related to the circus, as Ringling's Barnum and Bailey circus was getting back on its feet in the 40s, uh, and I, I, Katie and Max were still working with them, uh, a fire actually destroyed the main tent during the show. I don't think Katie and Max were at this particular event. This horrible fire killed 168 people and it injured hundreds of others. And as the financial mess of it was being sorted out, the resulting ruling of the courts was that the circus had to continue operation in order to bring in enough money to settle the resulting lawsuits and operation losses. And this actually became the first Chapter 11 bankruptcy case, which is just sort of a fascinating historical side note. Uh, It also wasn't long after this that Katie Sandwina and her husband wound up leaving the circus for good. Yeah, we don't know how much, you know, sort of the the fiscal problems or the financial problems of the circus actually incited them to leave or if it was just feeling like time to settle down and stop touring constantly. Uh, But in the late 1940s, Sanduina finally made her last stage appearance and she retired from her job as a strong woman at the age of 64. And she was still doing those same crazy tricks that she had been doing since she was like a teenager and a 20-year-old and a pregnant lady. Like, she just was... I, I... and perpetually sort of agog at her amazing physical prowess and her strength and her just ability to do these things, again, into her 60s. And at that point, she and her husband, Max, opened a restaurant in Queens, New York. And while she wasn't appearing with the circus, she would occasionally kind of pull out the old tricks and entertain patrons by lifting Max into the air. Uh, She's also said to have bent steel bars and broken horseshoes to entertain the diners and and people that came in to have a drink there. There's actually a picture in one of the, uh, the articles that I looked at, and it's actually kind of a reprint of an older article from the 40s, or from the very late 40s when they were first starting out in the the bar and grill business that's kind of uh, couched within a bigger, more modern article about her. And there's a picture of her, again, a retired woman in her 60s doing the bed of nails trick with the sledgehammers in the bar to entertain people. So she really never gave up performing even though she wasn't on stage anymore. That first year of running a bar and grill wasn't really easy for the pair, which is not surprising. It's hard to start a restaurant. But they eventually got a regular clientele and settled into the business. 
One of Katie's jobs would be that she would deal with the patrons who had too much to drink. And according to an interview that the two of them gave in late 1947, usually the inebriated man would later return apologetically and beg her pardon after sobering up. Yeah, she, uh, uh, and again, I love it because she still was considered sort of girly in many ways. Her daughter-in-law that was married to Alfred said that she always had her nails painted and she was really one of the most feminine women she had ever known. Uh, But unfortunately, just four years after she retired from performing and really as their bar and grill was, was getting really, really stable and good, Katie actually died of cancer on January 21st of 1952. Katie and Max's sons each followed into the family business in their own ways. Their first son, Theodore, became a heavyweight boxer under the name Ted Sanduina. And there's a brief video of his mom giving him boxing lessons in the 20s on YouTube. After his brief boxing career, he worked in the bar with Katie and Max. And Alfred, for his part, went on to become a fairly successful actor as Alfred Sandor. Uh, While his career struggled in the U.S. initially, he eventually became known in Australia for a long-running gig on the soap opera The Young Doctors. And he also appeared on the cult drama series Dark Shadow. So if any of our listeners ever watched that, uh, he was on one episode, but just kind of a noteworthy spot for him. Uh, Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm so delighted by her story. What a fun, wacky lady. I like the just... Beats of strength that sound impossible. I know. They just, they blow my mind. And it's one of those things, like I said, there are reporters that were even like, I don't know that Barnum and Bailey are being entirely accurate with their claims, but gosh, I really like this woman. Like, <laughs> I want to go see her show. But even like if if those sort of uh, wild claims were overblown, in most cases, if you halved them, they would still be really mind-boggling feats of strength. Mm-hmm. But there are pictures of her lifting multiple people at a time and they're, like I said, I saw a photograph of her with the cannon balanced on her chest and so there is photographic evidence of some of these things and in some cases you could say, oh, that's a prop and it was probably lighter, but they were not prop people that were walking across <laughs> the piece of board that were that was balanced on her chest. Like, Yeah, the cannon is the one thing that makes me go, I wonder if something was going on with that cannon. Yeah, I don't know. But, but you then know, again, you see her with like, you know, four and five people climbing on her shoulders. It's pretty awesome. That's a lot of, that's a lot of human. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday. If you have heard an email address or a Facebook URL or something similar over the course of today's episode, since it is from the archive, that might be out of date now. You can email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. And you can find us all over social media at Missed in History. And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 